Well, to illustrate tonight just how easy the Bible is and how simple it is and how anybody can understand it, um, I brought a prop. So here's my Geneva Bible, just to make the point that the Bible is an easy book, it's easy to understand, and I can hardly hold this with one hand because it's like 20 pounds. Isn't it ironic that we try to communicate to people that the Bible is so easy, it just tells you how to live your life, all you need is Scripture? <clears throat> Bible's a big book. Um, it's a huge book. It's not easy. It's complicated. All different kind of genres, all different kinds of history, different authors written over a long period of time. The Bible is tough. We're fooling ourselves if we don't think it's tough. It, it, it's tough. So let me just set this down and say, I'm going to make it all super easy for you by saying, if you understand the book of Romans, then the whole Bible is easy and Romans is super easy. That's why I have my favorite one of probably 20 commentaries on Romans. Uh, it's a thousand plus pages. And as you can see, I bought this when it was new. And I'm still working really hard to try to understand the book of Romans. And uh, maybe sometime I'll get a rebound. Um, I love this book because I do love Romans, because I do love the Bible, because Romans does help us to understand the Bible. All joking aside, the Bible's really hard, yes. Romans is really hard in one sense, yes. But in another sense, if we can understand the major themes in the book of Romans, I think we can understand the major themes in the whole Bible. And in that sense, it makes the whole Bible easy. Maybe not easy, but graspable. So that's what we're talking about. We've been doing this series called The Drama of Redemption. And I can't stress enough that if you understand that, you're at least on to something. That, that God is the author um, of creation. He made it. He has a plan from the very beginning. We've been seeing that. And history is heading somewhere. And it all centers on the person and work of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we can keep that in mind, the Bible is a lot more easy to understand. And that's what we've been trying to do. And I do think Romans really helps. And you don't have to become a scholar. And you don't have to read thousand-page books if you can at least see some of these big themes in Romans, you're going to read your whole Bible in a much more manageable, more meaningful way. And a growing burden for me is you're going to be better equipped to help people um, around you that you know, Christians and non-Christians, to at least understand. Um, and I don't mean this in a belittling way at all. It's just reality. Uh, the world around us, uh, the culture around us, is, is less and less biblically literate. Um, we don't have uh, all of the understanding that we once had in our culture. And so that, that puts a good burden more and more on you and on me. To be able to know the major themes. To be able to understand the, the major players in the drama so that we can make it understandable to people at least on a human level so that they can know who this God is they can know who this Jesus is and that doesn't mean we can make them believe it but we've got to at least make it understandable uh, in a reasonable way so that's my big pastoral burden tonight and and hopefully a, a good kind of emphasis that you'll receive tonight so we're going to do Romans um, drama of redemption in Romans and when we do that we're going to look at four time frames if you can understand t four major time frames that Romans talks about uh, not in this order um, but the order we're going to follow tonight so the four major time frames that will help you understand the Bible the whole drama uh, God's work the world around you number number one the beginning the beginning 
Number two, before the beginning. We probably should start there, but we're not going to. The beginning, before the beginning. Number three, the unfolding. So now in real time and real space in history as we know it. And then number four, the end. We're trying to understand the beginning to the end. And not only do we have the beginning, we have the before the beginning uh, in God's drama. Uh, and also we have God working in time, focusing on the person and work of Jesus. Understand those things? In a sense, you can understand the whole Bible because we're going beginning, no, before the beginning to the very end. Christ central in it when he comes to earth. Bible's easy in that sense. In that sense. Ready to go? All right. So. I'm curious to know how this is going to go. There's so much in Romans. Um, so much in Romans. So let's start first time frame. Let's go to the beginning, because Romans really starts in chapter 1, dealing with creation. So in the beginning, we have the creation. Easy enough place to start. We're about ready to, to hear about creation in chapter 1. Uh, we're going to hear about Adam at the beginning. We're going to have the revelation of God at the beginning. He reveals himself Shortly after the beginning, let's lump it in there for now, we've got sin. Um, shortly after the beginning, after sin, we've got the, the justice of God and the just consequences from God because of sin. Okay, And if you're new to Romans, first 17 verses are introductory, and then he really starts the argument of the book in verse 18. And so that's where we're going to start, and we're going to see the beginning. With it, we're going to see Adam, we're going to see Revelation, we're going to see sin, we're going to see consequences for sin. Let's jump right in in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So we've got, now we've got unrighteousness. We have law, law breaking, um, with unrighteousness. That has to do with the law. We've got judgment from God, wrath from God, who by their unrighteousness, by their law breaking, suppress the truth, the truth of God, the revelation of God of Himself. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them, again, revelation talk, because God has shown it to them. Verse 19, or verse 20, for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, see, we're talking about creation, in the things that have been made, again, creation, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and foolish, their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. So this is a form of judgment to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. So we've got this idolatry. We've got this refusal. Uh, here we see God's revelation. We refuse to see it for what it is. We, we go our own way. All of this shortly after creation. Then verse 26. For this reason God gave them up. There's a consequence for sin. A consequence for rebellion to dishonorable passions for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, 
Again, in our context, as He revealed Himself, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Again, that, that anti-law thing against God's revelation of Himself and His law. Evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They violate God's law and they have a just consequence for that and that is death. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Try to read as fast as I could without missing too many syllables. God creation, the Creator. It's against the Genesis backdrop. It's good, but what happens? We don't see the good God for who He is and how He's revealed Himself. We want to see Him our way, which is a corrupt way. The consequence for such unrighteous law violation is ultimately death, not to mention all of the calamity that happens along the way. It's a mess. It's a mess at the beginning, or shortly thereafter the beginning. If you understand that in the world around you, at least a little bit, your world's ahead. How about this? If you understand that in the Bible, even just a little bit, you can make tons of sense out of the whole Bible. Okay? Just a little bit about God, a little bit about righteousness, a little bit about sin and rebellion, just consequences. I mean, you are you're 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 in front of the you're you're front of the class. And we take it for granted because we do understand a lot of those things. A lot of you do. Most of you do. Most of the people uh living around us probably don't. We want to start with creation, how God made things. Again, even with suffering, death, misery against the backdrop of God making the world good and those things coming as a result of rebellion can make a lot of sense you can make a lot of sense out of some of the hardest passages in the old testament you can make a lot of sense out of those things that even create what we might call ethical dilemmas against this kind of backdrop which is really a genesis backdrop you go you know i can i can make sense of this a lot of people i know can't because they don't even know this much and so I feel like I want to be equipped uh, as a missionary to be able to communicate these things and at least have a worldview that can help people and help them understand the Bible, help them understand the world around them, help them to understand in light of this very chapter. So we're still in the beginning. Now, so you're already in the front of the class, but now you're going to be, um, you know, National Honor Society level. If there's another chapter in Romans you understand, at least a little bit, it's Romans 5. Okay, so let's go to Romans 5. We're still in the beginning, shortly after the beginning because of sin. But in Romans 5, we have the comparison between Adam and Christ, or the first Adam and the last Adam, to borrow 1 Corinthians 15 language. And we learn about sin, and we learn about representation, and how God has chosen to work in this world through representation, and how He's going to use Adam to represent the human race. And then he's going to use his son, the last Adam, to represent all those who believe. Once again, if you can get this, you're head and shoulders on your way to understanding the whole Bible, the whole world around you, the whole New Testament. 
This is how God works. God works, to use the theological term, federally, through representation. And we see it in Romans 5, beginning in verse 12. It's not super easy to understand, but if you're going to give it a little bit of time and, and, and pay attention to the consistency, you can understand this. And in so many ways, you need to understand it because it's key to understanding the whole Bible. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, we know that that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Again, he's talking about Adam, the Adam we all know about. Then in verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there is no law. Don't get caught up in that here and now for our purposes. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. There's death because there's sin even before there was the law, the law given to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. He's going to contrast Adam with Jesus, the last Adam. For if many died through one man's trespass, again, notice, Many died because of the one act of Adam, representation. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many, representation. For the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass, one sin, one violation against God's law, brought condemnation. Brought condemnation to all is his argument. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. That's going to be the free gift that comes through Christ. For if, verse 17 says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 18 helps us, as one trespass led to condemnation for all, notice it's the one for the all, for all men, so one act of righteousness, looking holistically at the work of Christ, leads to justification and life for all men. And I'll insert at this point in time in verse 18, uh, in our context of Romans 1, 3, 4, and 5, it's, the all who believe. It's faith, 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 faith. Verse 19 in context. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death... Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a whole lot there. But I at least want you to be able to look at Romans 5.12, which is going to be a little puzzling maybe if you haven't thought about it much, and, and, and read the in-between stuff and read Romans 5.18. And remember the context is the benefit. Those who are in Christ are those who believe. We're all naturally in Adam. So when we trust in Christ, we have a representative who perfectly does everything right, and so God accepts us. 
Again, if you're understanding this just a little bit, you are so well equipped to understand the Bible and to understand how God worked from the beginning and to understand salvation. We're all in Adam naturally, united to him. And we're united to the last Adam. 1 Corinthians 15 calls Jesus that. Because God works through these two federal representatives. By faith, we're united to the last Adam. Everybody's united to one or the other. That's why we make such a big deal out of Jesus. We don't make such a big deal out of Jesus because he did everything right, although he did. We don't make such a big deal out of Jesus because he made such a huge impact in the world, though he did. For Christians, now for a long, 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 long time, and now we make such a big deal out of Jesus because he's the last Adam. Because God sees us as if we were him because he represents us. And again, you say, well, maybe you might, you might even be saying, I've never heard this before. Well, that, 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 that's a shame. That's why we're doing this in one sense, so that you would understand this, even again, if it's just a little bit. And to say, now I understand the significance of what it means to be in Christ. What it means to be united to Him by faith, to be justified, declared a lawkeeper, even though I'm not one. How could this be? Well, just like you were a lawbreaker before you were ever even born in the sense that you were united to Adam. You say, maybe, maybe you're even saying, I don't like this. I don't think this is how it should be. And just a little bit of fun, I'll say, as soon as you create a world and, 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 and create your world and you want to do it a different way, you're free to do that. But this is how God has done it. It's reality. And again, you're, you're head and shoulders above so many who don't really know the Bible and they don't know biblical worldview if you're at least beginning to understand some of this business of representation. That's why it's not by our works. It's by His grace. All of this is important. And I really wanted to just emphasize the sin part for now, but I couldn't help myself but draw attention to Christ. So in the beginning and shortly thereafter, we have creation, yes. Law, yes. Revelation, yes. Representation in Adam, yes. And therefore, because of rebellion, sin, yes. Maybe one other passage before we move past the beginning and that would be Romans chapter 2 this is extraordinary presidential super uber duber scholarship level stuff (laughs) I'm going for anything I can get just Romans 1 awesome Romans 5 so much better and let's give a little extra credit Romans 2 will help you as well to understand what's been true from the beginning Romans chapter 2, verse 14 says, For when Gentiles, so non-Jewish people, this is 2.14, who do not have the law, like the Jews do, by nature do what the law requires, at least at times, at least externally, at least they have a sense of right and wrong, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Verse 15 says, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. And I wanted to bring that up to you just so we all understand that that the law of God is written on everyone's heart. 
Okay, people know right and wrong. Makes us culpable, makes us accountable. Uh, everyone has the law of God written on their heart. They know right from wrong in one way or another, even if we might suppress it, even if we might pervert it or twist it. So what I wrote down so far, you don't need to write it down. There is a creator. The creator, by definition, is worthy of respect as such. The creator is a revealing creator. The creator has expectations or laws. Humanity is represented by Adam. The representative rebelled and just consequences ensued. It's a mouthful. I'll do it one more time. There is a creator. The creator, by definition, is worthy of respect as such. The creator is a revealing creator. The creator has expectations and, or laws. Humanity is represented by Adam. The representative rebelled. And just consequences came as a result or, or, or ensued. And I know I'm just repeating myself, but it, it, if that's true, I think with all my heart it is, and if you can at least grasp that, you are well on your way to understanding the whole Bible. You're well on your way to understanding the world around you and why it's in the condition that it's in. You're well on your way to understanding the gospel as you would not otherwise understand it. It's super crucial that we get this stuff. And we understand it. Pray for ways you can talk to your friends, Christian or non-Christian, without using maybe the vernacular I've been using to talk to them about these kinds of issues. It'll be amazing. It'll be amazing. What good gospel opportunities. All right, can I move on? Okay, you say, please, Lord, have him move on. <clears throat> Number two, second time frame, before the beginning. So chronologically, we should start here. Before creation. Before any of this happened, did God have a greater plan? This God who, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 20, has eternal power. Did this eternal, eternally powerful God have a plan? Because if He does, it's going to be amazing because He's got this eternal power. And the answer is yes. And, and Romans tells us about it. So even before the Adam and Eve scenario, even before anything begins, this God in eternity past, we've been looking at Ephesians 1 quite often. We've been doing this drama of redemption thing because it says specifically before the foundation of the world, this God had a plan. And the plan centers on His Son, according to Ephesians 1 and Romans 2 also. It's, he's central to the whole thing. And, and not only is it a plan centering on His Son, it's a plan of redemption centering on His Son. And so even though we've just seen the, 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 the catastrophe and, and the, the difficulty and the problems and the sin, the rebellion, God has had a plan and His plan has been to save sinners from the very beginning or even before the beginning. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. It's a good place to start. We could learn about salvation in chapter 1. We could learn about ch salvation in chapter 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. But Romans chapter 8 is helpful because we, we now get a look in, into eternity past. Verse 29 says of Romans 8, For those whom He, this is God, those whom He foreknew, notice it's personal, it's about people, it's not about circumstances, it's not what He foresaw, it's those whom He foreknew, it's personal. He also predestined, so predestined, destination beforehand, to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Maybe we should take another look at it for those of you who might be newer to this. Um, what we have when we get justified in verse 30, well, justification in Romans is, is, is happens when you believe. When you trust in Jesus, God declares you a law keeper even though you're not. So that's in your life, in your time, when you're alive, you have faith in Jesus and God justifies you. Well, let's back up a little bit. Before justification, um, we have called in verse 30. Uh, he, he calls. Well, calling would also be in your lifetime. Uh, and, and God's call, His effectual call, His effective call, when the, the God is drawing you and, and calling you, um, we hear the gospel, and that's the general call. We preach Christ to everyone. Like in Acts 13, all those who've been appointed unto eternal life believed. They were experiencing the, the effectual drawing of God's Spirit. Calling happens in our life too. We're not in eternity past for justification. We're not in eternity past for calling. But before calling, it does say He predestined. And now we are beforehand. Predestined. Before that, He foreknew. He knew beforehand. It seems to be a... a Synonym, it's, it's intimacy, it's not circumstance, it's, it's personal. He foreknew, that's why some have said it's like foreloved. He had a re- relationship with beforehand, before it actually existed. And that's why I say God had a purpose before time frame. Time frame, in the beginning, yes, creation, but there's something even before creation, it's God's plan of redemption. God's plan of redemption. Before the beginning. And it centers on His Son. How about also in chapter 8? Let's go back up to verse 17. In verse 17, And if children then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs, in verse 17, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Oh, Christ is central that we would be glorified with Him. We were just learning about glorification in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, that we would be glorified. And how are we ever going to be glorified? The glorification happens because of Christ. United to Christ and inseparable from Christ. There would be no glorification if it weren't for Christ. And so central to the whole plan, even this predetermined plan, is Christ. Now we can look at other passages that have God's plan of Christ doing His work before time begins outside of Romans. I'm just trying to keep us in Romans. And so 8.17 is helpful. So maybe it helps to put it this way. Long, long before Bethlehem, God prophesied that this would happen. We see this in chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 promised beforehand through His prophets in Holy Scriptures. But we can even see before that in light of Romans chapter 8 that this is going to be the case. And again, I can't help but have my mind go to Acts chapter 4 and those kinds of passages about the work of Christ being predetermined before time begins. But for now, let's just stay in Romans. Before the beginning, we have a plan of redemption. 
And the plan centers on Christ. We're not going to take the time to emphasize it. No, actually I should. I should go there. Let's go to Romans 11. So not only is Christ central, not only will He redeem people, these foreknown ones, these foreloved predestined ones, that's, that's pre-Bethlehem, but that, that's pre-Genesis 1.1. He, we also learn of him beforehand because he's that kind of God. He's, he's the kind of God that has a plan before he does anything. He actually elects not just individuals. He actually elects a nation. Romans chapter 11, verse 2. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. There's a plan for Israel. And then we look at verse 28. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So this is how God is. And it might rattle our cages because we're not this way. But once again, here's my a promise to you. Here, here's my encouragement. If you can understand that here's how things were in the beginning. And then you can understand that there's a before the beginning. And how God had a perfect plan even before the beginning. And now you're reading your Bible and you're going, there's a lot here I don't get. There are some complicated things. There are some serious details. Maybe I should study ancient languages and it'll help me out. Yes, that's true. But there is a ton you're going to get. There's an unfolding of an eternal plan. There's a revealing of an eternal plan that is according to plan. In that sense, how about this? You're reading your Bible like time is unfolding in a linear way. It's because it is. Because God has a plan that's going to center, it does center on His Son who's going to be the key to our glorification so that those who are predestined, so that those who are foreknown will be glorified. How could we ever do that? Through a glorified Christ. Romans 8. This might seem complicated, it might seem super easy, depending on where you are. If it seems super easy to you, I can introduce you to ten people who think it's complicated. So just be better equipped as a missionary. If it seems super complicated to you because you think, this is not how I was thinking about the Bible. Well, don't take my word for it. But as you're reading starting in Genesis, or if you're going to read Nehemiah, or you're going to read Ezra, or you're going to read 1 Corinthians or Revelation, you see, God works through representation. God has a plan. God has a plan for people. God has a plan for a nation. Let's see how it happens. Now, when you look at one verse somewhere, you might say, I don't really see how this relates. Well, fair enough. The good news is, I'm, I don't, I don't, is, there any, is there any book in the Bible other than Jude that's just one chapter? Okay. Any, any, verse, any, any books in the Bible that's just one verse? Well, we added the verses anyway, but you get the idea. They're intended to be understood in a bigger picture. Not only in the bigger picture in that book, but the bigger picture in that, in that testament, in that canon, you're saying, I, I see. I get it. I see how this is 
actually a drama that's unfolding. I'm, I'm, I'm head and shoulders above the whole thing. And now a third time frame. Let's call it the unfolding. The unfolding of this. Just a sampling from Romans. We've already seen in the unfolding, in the beginning, we've got representative Adam. Well, that, that would make sense in Romans chapter 5. We've already talked about that. We've got representative Jesus in chapter 5. We've already talked about that, but it's huge. Huge. Even all the messianic prophecies and all the, the looking forward to, it's, it's going for the last Adam. Then you have Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah, so He fulfills those Old Testament promises like the Davidic covenant. Let's go to Romans chapter 1 and kind of see this unfold. Paul in Romans wants us to see the connectivity between the Old Testament and the New Testament, how Christ really is the one who fulfills it, how He fulfills this eternal plan, not to mention the temporal plan or the unfolding plan, if you will. Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, the servant of Christ Jesus, again, of Messiah Jesus. Aforementioned, promised, prophesied one, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Okay then. It's unfolding. What he promised in the Old Testament. Too many times we think that was the first time he ever came up with the plan is in the Old Testament. And we know that's not the case. Old Testament doesn't teach that. And Romans doesn't teach that. Actually, the plan was before then. But it fleshes itself out then. How about, let's keep going. How about chapter 1, verse 4? Uh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Christ Jesus our Lord. That's, that's Psalm 2. That's the connection to Psalm 2. Declared to be the Son of God. So He's fulfilling the one that God talked about in the Old Testament. Yes, indeed, this is the unfolding of that plan He talked about in the Old if we keep reading in Romans chapter 1, because Paul's making sure we see the, the continuation of what has already been revealed. Romans 1 verse 5, we're going to have Gentile inclusion. It's not just for the Jews. Through whom he, we received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. So it's not just Jews. Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Messiah. That's Jewish, and yet... All nations belong. That's astounding. That's, that's intriguing. That's interesting. How do I understand the Old Testament? Because it's Jew, 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 Jew. Well, way back in Genesis 12 and following, we've got Gentile inclusion promised. And so there's a plan for the nations. Christ is going to be the Savior of the world, all different kinds of people, Jew and Gentile, planned in eternity past, promised in real time, even in the Abrahamic covenant. And I'm busy reading my Bible going, huh, plot line. How's this going to unfold? How's it going to unfold in the book of Esther when Esther's at the right place at the right time so that the Jewish people aren't annihilated? Because they need to be preserved. Because God has a plan to preserve them. And again, so making, instead of making it all about her... God, it's all about God and His plan that's unfolding and ultimately it's going to center on Christ and it's going to include blessing for the Gentile. Wow! I'm understanding the big picture so I can understand 
the little details and not make them be something that they shouldn't be. Jew and Gentile. Justified by faith, same way. And that's Romans chapter 4. And we could spend months and months in Romans 4, but I do want you to go ahead and turn there. See, because what he mentions in chapter 1, and he just sort of introduces the book unpacks and helps us to understand. So I'm going to do some editing on the fly because I don't want us to read the whole chapter. But when you're reading the chapter and you're saying, what's all this Jew, Gentile, circumcised, not circumcised, everybody's justified the same way? Yeah, because God had a plan from a long time ago to include Jew and Gentile. And so that we're not confused, anyone and everyone who's ever going to be justified is justified only by faith in Jesus. It's not one way for the Jews and another way for the Gentiles. Romans 4, verse 1, What shall we say then is gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For Abraham was justified by works. If he was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's God's plan, whether you're Jew or Gentile, and the Jew actually proves it. Now to the one who works, his wages is not counted as, counted as a gift, but as what is due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Then he uses David as another illustration to make the exact same point in essence. It's not because they were good. It's not because they somehow could do this stuff in and of themselves. Oh, by the way, if I would have just remembered that naturally we're all in Adam, I would know that anyway. It's because they're going to trust in an external righteousness, in the righteousness, the law-keeping of another, Jesus. By faith in Him is how it changes. Well, let's jump ahead a little bit down to verse 11 where it says He's the Father of all who believe without being circumcised. he's, He's the example because He's the believing one. The resting in external righteousness one. Verse 12 says, To make him father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Oh, drop down to verse... um, Oh, we're called his offspring in verse 16. That's because we believe like he believes. Um, 16, he's the father of us all because he's a believer and we're believers, whether we're Jews or Gentiles. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Well, that was the plan that was unfolding to begin with. Verse 18, many nations. So again, not to lose sight because of the details, I'm reading my Old Testament in light of what happens early on in Genesis. I'm reading my Old Testament even in light of the Abrahamic promises that God makes to Abraham that it's not just going to be for Israel. It's going to be for the nations too. Now I'm reading a lot thinking, I wonder how this is going to work. I wonder how this is going to unfold. It seems to be pretty Israel specific. Hmm, but I know the promise is there. And we see dots connected in Romans chapter 1 and throughout the book of Romans and Romans chapter 4. This is how he was going to do it. This is how he was going to do it. Jew and Gentile through Jesus as the Savior. Now, I can read both Testaments and make more sense of them. I can see that it's only and always and forever going to be how am I right with God? 
only by grace. That's how it was with Abraham. That's how it was with David. We should know that because we know they're in Adam, naturally. So, they trust God and His promise, His gospel promise, and God counts it to them as righteousness. Yes, with a forward view, because Jesus would be the righteous one, because God works in the human race and with the human race through one of two representatives. I don't have to think things like, I think in the Old Testament they were saved by what they did, and in the New Testament were saved only by grace. I'm not going to conclude that kind of thing. I'm not going to conclude that kind of thing if I read Romans 1 and I read Romans 5. I'm not going to conclude that kind of thing if I read Romans chapter 4. I can read my Bible and I can get it. You can read your Bible and you can get it. It's only and forever and always will be only by grace. Only through faith. Only because of the work of Christ, even though it was in anticipation of the work of Christ, as the author of Hebrews says. Now let's move to one more time category and we'll wrap up. The last time category we should look at. So in essence we have in the beginning, before the beginning, and in time as we know it with the coming of Christ, in the historic work of Christ. Now let's go to number four, the end. Now we go to the end. In Romans 8, it's the classic end. I want you to read your Bible knowing you know the end. You know how it's going to end. It's going to end a certain way because of Jesus. Verse 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and, and He does if you're a Christian, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit. I'm saying this is the end, this is the future, because he uses words like will also, or statements like will also. So we look back to the work of Christ raised from the dead. If that's true and you're united to him by faith, will also, true of you, believer, I already know future. I already know how it's going to end. I read my Bible in that light. Romans tells us what the future is going to be. And the future is sure and secure because of what Christ has already accomplished. So then he goes on to talk about difficulties and talks about suffering and talks about great things. For the sake of time, how about if we go down to verse 17 where we learn about uh, being heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that, we already read this earlier, but to see it again at the end of verse 17, that we may also be glorified with Him. That we may also be glorified with Him. We're looking to that future reality that's sure because of His historic accomplishment. Then verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, so notice he's talking about the here and now in the broken world, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be, see we're talking about future, is to be revealed to us. Well, we know what the future is. We know it's to be revealed. It's, it's what we've already seen with Christ. Bodily resurrection is to be revealed for us to be bodily resurrection. How can you know there's going to be bodily resurrection in the, in the future? Because there was bodily res- resurrection with Christ in history. And so here we have it. Looking toward the future. I know that this is how it's going to end. I know it was all aimed toward this 
to begin with, even before time began, this is how it was going to be. And then verse 19, in our context of suffering and difficulty in a broken world, for the creation waits with eager longing. See, waiting, anticipation, future, longing for. That would include the us too. Longing for the revealing of the sons of God. See, we're not waiting for some accomplishment to, to happen so it might happen. We're waiting for the revealing of it. It's as good as done. It's sure. It's absolute. We're waiting for the revealing of it. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be, notice, looking toward the future, will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so he starts using words then in like in verse 22, for we know that the whole creation, this is what we're experiencing now, but then he unpacks it about redemption, sureness because of intercession, the giving of the Spirit. Then we eventually get into our passage, uh, 29, 30, all things working together for good. How can that be in verse 28? Because of 29 and 30. How can 29 and 30 be true? And how can we know for sure? Back in chapter 8, verse 17, because of the sure, already finished work of Christ that was predestined beforehand. And then in verse 30, it ends with, whom He justified, He also glorified. Well, because of the glorification of Christ, because of the completion of what Christ did, it assures ours also make a mental connection because after all, that would make a lot of sense because by faith we are united to Him as a representative. Back to Romans chapter 5. Because God is dealing with the human race through one of two Adams. I want to be in Christ, in Adam. Christ is glorified as good as done, I'm glorified too. I'm as good as glorified too. Verse 32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Yeah, because you're united to Him by faith. Oh, by the way, because you're in Him. Who shall bring, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercede, who indeed is interceding for us. And he unpacks all these great, great realities about can't separate from him. It's impossible. Not even death can do this. Nor, verse 39, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord future is absolutely sure. Understand at least a little bit of these things. I remember reading Romans for the first time in a Bible study. I'm a brand new Christian in college and I couldn't make heads or tails. Because I was looking at every word and what does this word mean? And let's look up this word in a Greek dictionary. And let's look up this word in a Greek dictionary. And there was some fruitfulness, sure. But what I really needed was somebody to come alongside of me who maybe was also a newer, newer Christian or an older Christian. I wouldn't care and say, let's just at least look at some big major themes. 
let's at least know something about the world being accountable to God because he's the creator. Let's at least know something about sin and rebellion, about representation through Adam, Romans chapter 5. Let's learn about representation through Jesus, Romans chapter 5. Let's know that this plan that God has for salvation actually existed before time as we know it began. Let's know that in real time and real space, God sent His Son to do a historic work on behalf of everyone who would ever believe. And as sure as His work is done, as sure as He has been raised from the dead, you will be too. I just needed that. And I can start fumbling around and I can start stumbling around in the book of Romans remembering the forest, big picture, and then I can start looking up big words. And I can start maybe looking a little, in a little bit more detail. But now I'm on my way to reading my whole Bible better. Because again, if there's a plan before time begins, it makes sense when we get to Genesis, the plan is going to start unfolding and indeed it does. And I can always take a couple steps back and say, history's going somewhere. I know where it's going. My life might stink right now, but I know where history's going in Christ. I might not understand the details of all the stuff that's going on in the book of Revelation because there's a lot there and there's a lot of complication, but I know how it ends. I know where it's going. Those sorts of things. What's the deal with all this business with Israel and they're faithful and they're not faithful and what's going on here? I want to understand better, but even even in the meantime when I can't understand all the details, I know where it's going. I get it. I don't have to be held hostage by understanding all the details. I just want to work at understanding them. We could really, really show love for our neighbor if we help people understand some of the, the big swaths, if you will, the big themes, I think. And like never before, we need to do that. I want to look at one last verse just because it was on my mind um, yesterday. And it's so, so good to see when it comes to the future being sure and the future being done and the future being um, secured. And it's Romans chapter 16. Romans 16. You might be asking yourself as you're turning there, why didn't God put things in this order? Why did you follow this order? I'm just trying to follow somewhat of a chronology order. God didn't put it in that order um, for whatever reason he chose. But Romans 16 is, is so good and so encouraging when we think about big picture, representation, who we are in Christ. It's my favorite verse for the day at least. I think it should be yours too. Romans 16 verse 20. Here, this is meant to be a great promise of victory and, and confidence and, and perseverance. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I want you now to think of that. I mean, it sounds good, doesn't it? You're like, yeah. I think when I preached on that on a Sunday morning one time, I wore my motorcycle boots just so I could do that, you know. You will soon crush Satan under your, under your feet. Now, I want you to think about that in terms of the bigger picture. Some of the things we talked about tonight, like Romans 5. Representation. Where do we have Satan? Where do we have the serpent? Where do we have serpent underfoot? Where should we have the serpent underfoot? Let's think in terms of first Adam, last Adam, 
Adam the first being tempted in the garden, succumbing to the temptation by the serpent. Jesus being tempted and not succumbing and being victorious, destroying the works of the devil. And now, He will soon crush Him. Now He's writing to believers like us. He will soon crush Him under your feet. Here's how I think of it. Here's, I think, the right way to think of it. Adam in the garden. Serpent comes. Certain serpent comes. Temptation. He succumbs to the temptation. Satan comes to the last Adam, Jesus, our other representative. And Jesus destroys the works of the devil. We're either in Adam, united to him, under the domain of darkness still, or we're in Christ, the last Adam, united to him, and Christ destroyed the works of the devil. And if we're in him, as we're in Christ, we will soon experience in real life, real time, real space, the destruction of Satan. It's awesome. It's awesome. I read someone who said, Adam, first Adam in the garden, when the serpent came to him and the temptation, given his responsibility to have dominion and to guard the garden and to do what he was called by God to do, what should he have done? He should have smashed his head. That's what he should have done. Instead, he listened to him tell lies about God. And he allowed it, and he succumbed to it. What does Jesus do? Jesus confronts him, shuts him down, and in effect, by his perfect work, stomps on the serpent's head. And now we're in Christ. And in practical, real time, and real space, the promise is, because we're suffering and life is hard, he says here, God, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. There's only one way that could ever happen. And that's if he does that in Christ. And how about this? He did in Christ, and now we're waiting to enter into the reality. I love it. I hate snakes. <laughs> you don't have to hate snakes to love that. You get the idea. Yeah. Representative Failure. Adam. Representative Victor. Last Adam. No more satanic oppression. And here we are just waiting to have that experientially, which is what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 16. Deluxe, huh? So deluxe. So, so, so good. Let me encourage you to read your Bibles in light of these things. Okay? Read your New Testaments in light of these things. Read your Old Testaments in light of these things. Because God has made these things clear to us. The problem is, sometimes we don't do that. And that's the very kind of thing Jesus criticized His own followers for doing. Whether it's in John 10 or Luke 24. It's the very thing that he talks about in 2 Corinthians 3. We shouldn't be reading our Bibles with veils over our eyes. We should be reading our Bibles being able to see these things clearly because they've been clearly demonstrated to us. And so let's see them for what they are.